0: Well, good morning. It is great to have you with us here at Silver Creek. We are praying that God is keeping you safe and that you're doing well through this time. Um, As I mentioned during my prayer, I just wanted to kind of uh, clarify what I was talking about there. Uh, We have a sister church down in El Salvador, and uh, the pastor from the church had actually gone to Nicaragua to do some teaching about three months or two and a half months ago. Uh, While he was there, everything kind of happened with the outbreak of coronavirus, and the government of El Salvador said we are not letting anybody into the country. And so he has been stuck in Nicaragua Nicaragua for, I believe close to 65, 64 days, um, we were able to send some money down to him to be able to buy some food and take care of those different, different things that he needed down there. But now he's been able to get back into the country. He's back in El Salvador. Uh, I think that's happening today. But now he's got to go into 30 days of, of quarantine before he can actually get back with his family. So you can keep Pastor Oscar in your prayers. Um, he's excited about this new change, but he's also still uh, got a couple days ahead of him or 30 days ahead of him where he still will not be with his family. So you can keep him in your prayers. Uh, We are in our last week of our series called Jesus Will, and the idea behind this whole series has been looking and seeing and really establishing a true idea of what Jesus will do and what Jesus will provide, what Jesus will offer in our lives, because oftentimes what we expect Jesus to do isn't what he actually said we could count on him doing. Now, I'm guessing that most of you in your life, you've had, you've had this experience where you step out onto the balcony or you step out onto the, the deck of a, of a hotel building or a high rise of some sort, you know, multiple stories in the air, and you step out onto this balcony and you find yourself several stories, multiple stories off the ground, and you walk up to the railing and you lean over and you look and you see how high you are. And sometimes when you first look over, it kind of takes your breath away as you you realize the distance you are off the ground is rather significant. But what's amazing is that because of that simple railing, because of the security that that railing provides, we are willing to stand right on the edge of something that we otherwise would not stand at. I mean, most of us would never walk to that edge of that balcony, and none of us would ever walk up to the edge and look over if that railing were not there. That simple railing provides security and allows us to live in the freedom of that situation and stand and enjoy that view, or, or be terrified by that view if that's the way it is for you. But it allows us to do something that we wouldn't otherwise do. In life, it's much the same way. When we have security about our future, when there is security about where we're headed and what we can look forward to, it provides a freedom That's not available when that security is missing when that security is there. There's a there's a freedom. There's a fullness That that security provides and when we have security for our eternity That fullness and freedom is unbelievable Because when we know for certain what our future is when our time on earth is over It suddenly begins to open up some amazing realities and Jesus, one of the great thing, things that he brings into our lives is he brings the security of our eternity. And so this morning, what I want us to see is what it means when the, Jesus says that he will secure our eternity. Shortly after Jesus' time on earth, one of the early leaders, a guy by the name of Paul, wrote a letter to one of the young pastors, a guy by the name of Timothy. He actually wrote two letters. We're going to look at the second letter. And Paul was writing to Timothy, and he spoke specifically about this idea of eternity that co- or security that comes from Jesus. This is what Paul wrote. Paul said, and now he has made all of this plain to us by, pe- by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Paul is saying, Jesus is going to give us the power over death, Jesus is going to show us life. And then he says something that almost sounds superhero-ish. Jesus is going to give us immortality. Basically, he's like, you are going to be able to live forever. Now, Unlike superheroes that oftentimes lose their, their immortality because they like, meet a girl and trade in their immortality for love, or, or maybe they have their immortality taken away by the villain who gets into the secret hidden cave that's protected by aliens and they destroy the power. Actually, I have no idea how that works. I don't really understand superheroes super and their immortality, but... Paul is talking about an immortality that is all based on Jesus, and all based on what Jesus has has done, and, and who he is, and what he offers. And the reason that Jesus can offer us that immortality is based on one of the words in the very first sentence of that, what we just read, and it's the word Savior. And that's the focus for this week's theological breakdown, is the word Savior. Now the name Jesus actually means Savior. Jesus comes out of the, the Hebrew word Yeshua. And Yeshua means rescuer or deliverer. It's the name that the angel actually brought to Mary and Joseph. when Jesus was, Before Jesus was born, the angel came and said, you're going to name the baby Yeshua. His name will be Jesus. It was the long-awaited Savior. See, the Jewish people, they had, they had been waiting for generations for the Savior to arrive. Okay, we're going to just pause real quick, um, and we'll, I'll, I'm going to splice the video after we get done with this. Uh, do we know where Jacob's at? Because I'm not sure that this uh, hazer is going to work. I can barely, I'm starting to not be able to see. Does anybody know? Maybe we just need to turn, Reagan, can you just turn it off? Is it, is it blocking? Can you guys see clearly through the cameras? Okay. Reagan, are you able to just dial it back a little bit? It's... I'm just going to do this for a second and see if that does anything. Uh, Michael and Steve, I'm just going to go back to the top of um, Theological Breakdown. So, Michael, if you can just go back to that. Okay. And da, 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 da. Okay. Ready? Here we go theological breakdown of Savior. The name name Jesus actually means Savior, and Jesus comes from the Hebrew, the name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name of Yeshua, which means rescuer, which means deliverer. And Yeshua was the name that the angel actually came and said to Mary and to Joseph, Jesus, or name the baby Jesus, he will be the long-awaited Savior, Yeshua. See, the Jewish people, they had been waiting for generations for the Savior to arrive. And the the first century Jewish individual, they were looking for a military and a political leader who was going to come and and to free them from the tyranny and the oppression of the Roman Empire. But, But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come just to free the Jewish people from the Roman Empire. Jesus came to save all people. Jesus came to save all people, not just Jewish people, but all people from their sin. And the real problem with sin is that sin separates us from God. And so Jesus came to save us, to be the Savior of those that are separated from God and to restore and create a path back to God. And our sin separates us from God. And our sin is any time that you and I step outside of God's direction and step outside of God's guidance. Basically, sin is anytime you and I break relationship with God, break relationship with other people, and all of those things happen when we step outside of God's direction and God's guidance. And Jesus came to resolve the break that happens. Jesus came to eliminate the separation and establish a way for us to connect with him again. And in these verses that we read, just read... Jesus came to break the power of sin. He came to break the power that sin has, that until sin is broken, until that is overcome, sin will lead to death. And not just death on this earth, but eternal death. And we needed a Savior that was going to come and to rescue us. To rescue us. And that's what Jesus did by dying on the cross. He came to pay the price for our sin. And then when he came back to life three days later and defeated death, he made life available for all of us. And it's not that we won't die when this life is over, but it's that we won't die for eternity. It's that we are immortal and that we will live forever with God because the separation has been removed and we've been restored. And now we're in connection with him and in relationship with him. And if all of that is true, what we need to begin to understand is we need to understand what it looks like and how it works and how we can be secure in our eternity. So I want to dive a little bit deeper this morning, and I want to begin to look and see how Jesus secures my eternity when we begin to make some decisions that ultimately line our hearts with His. And we need to begin to understand that this isn't really about getting our hands on a, on a get-out-of-jail-free card— we, we don't come into relationship with Jesus just because we're trying to buy ourselves some fire insurance to stay out of hell and just maybe try and get an entry-level room into heaven. It, it's so much bigger than that. It's about entering into a relationship with Jesus. It's about establishing a connection and an impact and having it change who we are and how we live and the way that we view people and view situations around us. Because when our eternity is secured, now we live in a new freedom and it releases an uncertainty that exists about our future. And now we know for certain what's ahead of us. I mean, think about it. If you know for certain that tomorrow you have three meals waiting for you, if there's no concern for you that tomorrow you will get to eat, if that is secure, you can focus on work today. And you can enjoy your family today, and you can read a book today, today, and you can go out and rest in the sun today, because you have security in that. And our security begin, uh, for our future allows us to begin to experience a fullness in life in this moment. And Jesus wants to allow us to understand that we can have security in our eternity, and what it means when we begin to receive that. And there's four choices that you and I can make, and they really all hinge on what Jesus has done and what Jesus offers to us, and that's what secures our eternity. So the first way that you and I tie into this and that Jesus secures our eternity is when I believe that he died on the cross for me. Oftentimes when we think of a Savior, when we think of somebody that's going to deliver us, our minds go to a mighty conqueror. When we think of a Savior, we go to somebody that is going to have victory, A savior in sports is the guy that that knocks down the winning jump shot right at the buzzer. The the savior in sports is is the one that throws the winning touchdown as time expires. Jesus really wasn't what anybody was looking for. The Jews were looking for this big, powerful individual, and and Jesus came, and he was meek, and he was mild, and he was humble. They were looking for a military savior. They were looking for a guy that was going to show up and, and, and kick butts and take names, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. They, they were looking for Braveheart, right? They wanted war paint and cry. They went, They may take away our lives, but they may never take our freedom. That's what they wanted. They were looking for that dominance. They were looking for that power. And what we need to understand is that Jesus came for something so much more, more significant than that. Jesus, Jesus wasn't coming... As a military savior, he was coming as a spiritual savior. They needed somebody, the Jewish individual, they needed somebody that was going to come and heal their broken nation, and Jesus came to heal our broken souls. Because oftentimes a savior, what we expect it to be isn't what Jesus is. And sometimes it almost, it almost looks like we want a Savior. We're, we're looking for a Savior that's going to show up and, and save us from some of the dumb decisions that we've made or, or save us from circumstances that we don't like. And Jesus is like, no, no, I came here to make sure your hearts were right so that you weren't destroyed spiritually by things that are happening around you. The Jews were looking for somebody that was going to come and, and conquer empires for them and make them a mighty nation we look for somebody that's coming. We often look to Jesus to be the Savior that's going to help us conquer that boss that's mean and isn't giving us the raise that we want. But Jesus came to conquer the destruction that is caused by sin. So Jesus isn't your typical Savior, which means he responded differently than your typical Savior. He didn't come to defeat people. He came to defeat death. So he had to allow himself to be executed in a way that was designed for criminals and rebels. And we need to understand that, that death on the cross was an absolutely humiliating death. And in fact, it was such a humiliating death that it was illegal to use crucifixion as a way to punish Roman citizens. It could only be used for those that were rebels and criminals, the worst of them, and they couldn't be a Roman citizen. It could only be used for those that were deemed so low Below humanity, they they were deemed unworthy of being treated as humans. That's who was allowed to be executed on the cross. And Jesus allowed himself to die that way, and it was an essential part of God's plan. Paul not only wrote a letter to Timothy, he wrote letters to churches that he'd helped start. And one of the letters that he wrote, he explained this. First Corinthians, it says this. It says the message of the cross is foolish to those are headed to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. The cross is the central moment in the life of Jesus. The cross is the central point in Christian faith. The cross is the central event in human history. And when we don't see that, when we don't take time to understand what the cross is all about and the importance of all that it accomplished we miss out on the fact that that Jesus allowing himself to die, it becomes to look like it's foolish when we don't get it. When we don't understand what it's all about, it doesn't make sense that the Savior would let himself be killed until we dig into it a little bit deeper for why it needed to happen and why it was so important. Because the cross is the moment where Jesus stepped into the punishment that was meant for us to the punishment that we deserved. That's why the cross is so important. It was for you. The cross was really designed for me because we're the ones that broke relationship with God. We're the ones that created that separation. We're the ones that have turned our backs and walked away from God. We're the ones that sinned and rebelled from God, not Jesus. He never sinned. And the consequence of sin is separation from God and stepping outside of, we get outside of his peace and outside of his presence and outside of his power in our life when that sin has not been taken care of. And we're separated from God in this life and ultimately we're separated from God for all eternity. That's the price of sin. That's the price that had to be paid. And Jesus loves us so much that he chose to pay that price for me and that price for you. And on the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of the consequences of my sin and your sin so that we wouldn't have to, so that we wouldn't remain separated from God. And on the cross, Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God, that we could be in relationship with him. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the love of Jesus. And when you and I believe that Jesus died on the cross and we're acknowledging, what we're saying is, I deserved that punishment. That was for me and he took my place. And that's what begins to make it possible for the separation that exists between us and God to be removed and be removed for all eternity and eliminated. And that separation is gone and now we're made right with God. And Jesus has already paid that price. Jesus already died. He's already done it. And now we have the opportunity to simply believe that Jesus did it for us, did it for me. And when we do that, our, our security in our eternity is now there because now we recognize that we are no longer separated from God. We no longer have to face that separation for eternity from God. And once we believe that Jesus died for our sins, died for us for, and brings security to our eternity, then it begins to create this motivational shift and it moves us to the second choice. And the second choice we make is the decision that I will repent from my sin and turn toward him. That first decision is that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and it leads us to the second, sin, second decision, which should naturally flow out of that, is to begin to turn away from our sin. Because when we believe that what Jesus did on the cross was done for us, it then leads us to turn away from our sin and begin to turn towards him. Now I want to be clear about something. Our salvation in Jesus and what he offers is not about getting things perfect. It's not about you and I never messing up. It's not about being good enough for God to accept us. It's not about being religious and going to church. It's not about having the right parents who were the right Christians that got us. It's not about any of that. Our salvation comes when we recognize that you and I, we can't save ourselves and we needed a Savior. And we humbly admit that we can't make it on our our own through life apart from God. And so then we turn away from the sin. We turn away from where we were headed and we turn towards Jesus. We turn away from, from an old life and where we were headed and we turn towards a new life. Now this word repent is kind of a churchy word but it's too perfect because when we repent, what we're saying is we're recognizing that I was headed in this direction and this direction that I was going was wrong and it's not right and I shouldn't be headed. It's a change of heart and we repent from that and we're admitting that the direction that we're heading in with the wrong choices and it was leading to destruction and so we repent from that and we realize we're gonna head in a new direction. We're realizing that on our own, it was selfish decisions. It was breaking relationship with God. It was breaking relationships with other people and we repent from that and we determine that we're going to head in a direction that's more about who Jesus is and what Jesus has led us to. And because we believe what Jesus did on the cross was for us, and we recognize that it's our sin that put him on the cross, we change our direction, and now we begin to follow what Jesus is leading us to. In the account of Jesus' life, there was written by a guy named Luke. Luke kind of wanted to really get an accurate account of what happened in Jesus' life. And Jesus tells this story that was very counter to the culture of that day and he tells this story and it illustrates what it looks like to repent and in the story there's two men and one of the men would be an individual that we would expect that, that god would accept this guy and one of the men is an individual that we would expect that god would reject this guy and jesus turns all of our expectations on their head listen to how it goes it says two men went up to the temple to pray One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. This starts out a little bit like a joke. You know, like two guys walk into a bar. Two guys walk into the the temple. One guy's a Pharisee. One guy's a tax collector. And if you were a Jewish individual in the first century, you hear this story and you already know how it's going to go. You already know the answer. Because you look at that Pharisee and you're like, oh, that's the religious leader. You would have looked at the Pharisee and considered the Pharisee to be the righteous guy. He's the good guy. The Pharisee is the one that obeyed all of the law. If you've been around church long enough, you know that the Pharisees oftentimes were messed up. But in that day, the Pharisee was the good guy. The Pharisee was the hero. You're like, oh, I got it. I know where this story's going, Jesus. And then when you hear about the tax collector, you're like, ooh, boo. Tax collectors were traitors. Traitors. Tax collectors were Jewish individuals that were now working for the Roman government. They were working for the government that was now occupying the nation of Israel. And they were collecting money from the other Jewish people and then giving it to the Roman army so that they could continue to occupy Israel and continue to persecute the Jewish individuals. And along the way, not only was the tax collector collecting money and passing it on to the Roman Empire, they were putting some extras in their pocket. So if you heard this story, at the very start you'd be like, Oh, yeah, I know this. Okay, the good guy's the Pharisee, and the bad guy's the tax collector. And Jesus goes on. He says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Really, this guy's actually got it going on. This guy's got it all together. He's not like all the bad people. If there's anybody that's earned heaven, it's this guy. If there's anybody that God is just going to accept because of the good that they've done, it would be him. Jesus goes on, it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus takes this whole thing and flips it upside down. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, Jesus isn't saying that our behavior doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying at all. Our behavior matters. But what we have to understand is that our behavior is not how we get accepted by God. It's not where we are able to secure our eternity The Pharisee thought he would be accepted by God because he was a better person. The Pharisee thought that because of his relationship or the way that he was conducting himself, Jesus would say, that, that's him. Jesus is saying, we don't earn our acceptance because we're good enough. We don't gain salvation because we do the right thing. It isn't about what we do. It's because of what Jesus has already done, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And there's nothing that we can do to earn God's love more, to gain more of his acceptance, or produce our salvation. It's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has already done. And Jesus says, no, 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 check out this other guy. Notice this dude, he's the one— Salvation comes when we recognize that we've sinned, and we recognize that we need forgiveness, and we recognize that our heart is now broken because of the rebellion that we had against God. That we rebelled up against God, and we were heading away from God. And this guy recognized, this guy knew that he needed to turn from where he was going. He was headed in the wrong direction, and he was humbled by it, and he needed to stop, and he needed to repent, and he needed to turn towards God. It was no longer going to be about himself, but he was going to make it about God. It was going to be about God's way. And this tax collector humbled himself and took on a new approach where he wasn't thinking that his way was the right way, but looking towards God. And when we look at the cross and when we look at what Jesus did, Because he was willing to die for me and he was willing to die for you. The proper response when we recognize that he died for us is to change the direction and realize that our actions and our choices are ultimately what led Jesus to have to die on the cross. And we have to change the direction because of what we're doing. Years ago, we were doing this remodeling project in our house, and and we had ripped all the sheetrock down, and basically it was just sort of bare studs, and and I was running something i don't even know what I was doing, but I had to drill something into the side of this one stud, and so I had my arm inside in between the two studs, and I kind of braced my elbow against one stud, and then I was drilling into this way, and every time that I would click the drill and start to really push and push hard against this way, every time that would happen, my muscle in my arm would all start to, like, lock up, And it was was painful. I couldn't, every time I would push it, I was like, ah, what was going on? I couldn't, I thought something was wrong with the drill. And what I eventually realized is that my arm on this side, against the wood, there was an electric wire that was running up inside along the side of that board. And it was an older wire. And what I recognized is there was a little tiny crack in the wire. And every time I pushed that drill and pushed back against that wire, the crack was opening up and I was shocking myself just enough that my arm would lock up. And for a while, I kept trying. I kept doing it. Eventually, I had to recognize, I've got to repent. I've got to turn. My way is not working. And I had to turn away and go in another direction. And it's not about proving that we deserve anything. It's recognizing that our sin, what our sin meant for Jesus, and choosing to turn from that and repent. And that's what made the cross necessary. Is that Jesus wants to secure our eternity, and it happens when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And then when I repent and head towards Him, and then the next choice is that I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. This is where salvation becomes personal and it becomes real. This is where we ask Jesus into our life, and He saves us from our sin, and we begin to be secure in the eternity that we have in heaven because we've asked Jesus to be our Savior. But. Not only are we asking him to forgive us, but we're asking him to do something so much more in our life. And as he forgives our sin and as he secures our eternity, we're asking him to be the leader, the Lord of our life. And what's so huge about this is now we're asking the creator of the universe to direct our life, to show us, to guide us. Meaning the one that made us, the one that created the world, the one that knows the purpose that he has for us. He's now going to lead us down the best path. Now he's showing us the decisions that we need to make. And maybe you've been trying to figure everything out on your own. Maybe you've been in a relationship with Jesus or you've accepted him in, but but you find yourself just making choices that aren't right, bad choices along the way, and and some of them have led to stress and to worry and to anxiety and, and maybe some regret and maybe some shame. But what I want you to know is it doesn't have to be that way. Because when we turn to Jesus as our Savior and we turn to him as our Lord, it's a two-for-one deal. Because not only does he save us, but now he offers to be our Lord and our leader. And because he's already demonstrated how great his love for us was when he died on the cross, we can trust that he's always going to point us down the path that is the best. We can trust that he's always going to lead us in the best direction. One of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of John, this is what he wrote. He said, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What John is saying is when we make those first two decisions, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and when we begin to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, meaning we have believed and we have accepted, then he says there's this amazing promise. He's pointing out this incredible promise that then that gives us the right to be children of God. And what John is saying is a very crucial statement. He mean, he, what he's saying is, this is what allows us to be a child of God. Even though all of us have been created by God, and all of us have been, are, are loved equally by, by God, not all people are children of God. And from time to time, we'll hear people say, all people are children of God. And unfortunately, that is theologically incorrect. I mean, it's a nice saying, but it's not accurate. Again, all people were created by God. All people are loved equally and completely by God. But not all people are children of God. The Bible clearly explains that we are only a child of God by adoption. We don't start out as a child of God. We are adopted by God because we have to be adopted because our sin has separated us from God. And in the process of being separated, we don't have his presence in our life. We don't have the promise of heaven in our life. That sin has separated us. But we become a child of God when we believe and accept that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And when that happens, we're adopted into his family. And when that happens, our eternity is secured in heaven. And he becomes our father, and we become his children, and he provides, and he directs, and he guides our life. And what we need to get and what we have to understand is... As we begin to make decisions, we begin to recognize that we're following Jesus, and as we're following Jesus, we understand that our eternity is secure, and He's going to guide us in the way that is best. And it happens when I believe that He died for my sins on the cross, and when I repent for my sins, and when I turn towards Him, and when I accept Him as Savior and Lord, and then finally, Jesus secures our eternity when I trust Him with my eternal standing. One of the great benefits of salvation, of of having that relationship and having that security of our future is what it does in our life right now. And the security that it brings. And that Jesus wants to come and help us feel secure in this moment. And that gift that Jesus wants to offer is that, that we don't have to worry anymore and we don't have to be afraid anymore and we don't have to live in a state of anxiety We don't have to be afraid of death, and we don't have to be afraid of what's waiting on the other side of that, because we can be secure in the fact that heaven is waiting for us. And heaven is going to be so much better than anything that we have in this life. Now, I'm not in any hurry to get to heaven. It's going to be great when we get there, but I recognize it's going to be for all eternity, so we don't have to be in a hurry to get there. There's going to be plenty of it. But we don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen when this life is done. It also means we don't have to be worried about losing anything in this life. We don't have to be worried about losing money or losing an apartment or losing a job. Whatever. What we know is that God has given us so much more through Jesus than through what's waiting for us in heaven. So we don't have to be afraid of losing. We can have confidence. We can be secure that no matter what the circumstances are, because we know Jesus... We are now secure in his hands, and there is nothing that can separate us from his love. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to his closest friends, and and they become afraid, and they become anxious, and they become worried, and he's trying to explain to them why everything is going to be okay. And this is what Jesus says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He's saying, listen, my father is preparing a place for you. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you. I've told you this is true. It's the reality for you. And what I know and what you know is that right now in our world, there are lots of reasons to be afraid. And as you sit in your house this morning, your list of concerns might be really long. And there are some details and there are some circumstances and there are some decisions right now that have your heart troubled. You're worried about something or you're scared about something or you're afraid of dealing with something in your life. There's something that you just can't stop thinking about that that you laid awake last night and your heart was troubled. That's exactly where the disciples were at. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're following me, understand that heaven is waiting for you. I've got something so amazing. If you've trusted in me, I'm preparing a place for you, and your eternity is secure. You don't need to worry about anything. It can't be taken away from you. You have so much to look forward to. And a couple verses after this, Jesus says something that is oftentimes seen as controversial or, or limiting, But if we look at this differently and we begin to recognize that this isn't controversial, this isn't limiting, the statement that he makes is absolutely freeing because it confirms and it removes all doubt in our mind. Jesus explains this. He says, guys, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Basically, Jesus is saying, I am the guardrail. I am the railing that allows you to step up to the edge and experience a freedom that wouldn't be there any other way. You could know for certain that you were in a relationship with God the Father because you've gone through me. There's no other way except through me. There's no other way for us to overcome sin. There's no other way for us to experience eternal life in heaven other than through Jesus. It's not through being good enough. It's not through coming to church enough. It's not through being born into the right family. It's not about giving enough money to worthy causes. Salvation only comes when we say yes to Jesus and choose to follow him and choose to trust him with our eternity. And if we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and if we repent from those choices that have broken relationship with God and other people, and if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior in our life, if we've done that, now we live in a freedom that our eternal standing is completely secure. That as a child of God, we get to spend eternity with Him, and that knowledge should now change how we approach each and every day. Because it's not something we've done. It's not because something that that we've created. Now it's something that we get to embrace. Something that we get to hold on to. And today you can step into that security. And you can know that your eternity is locked in with Jesus. And when that eternity is set, now it begins to spill over into every other moment of our life. And we can begin to reclaim each moment with new possibilities and have the security of what Jesus will do in our life and through our life when we believe that he died for us, when we believe that we have accepted him, when we turn from our sin. Now everything begins to change. Now in those moments where we begin to panic, or we begin to get worried, or we begin to wonder what's going to happen, we need to remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done, remind ourselves of all that Jesus has provided, remind ourselves of the eternity of what it looks like now and what Jesus has promised us. When we get consumed with worry and doubt, reflect on what Jesus has done and what he has provided and the security that we have in our eternity. And allow that security of your eternal standing bring hope and peace in the middle of everything going on right now. And every week in your program, we just challenge you to think through and and recognize that this is your opportunity to respond to what, what God wants to say to you. And maybe this morning as you reflect on this concept of, of your eternal uh, your security and your future and what that will be and what it looks like and, and what's waiting for you, what's your next step going to be? Maybe this morning your next step is to identify where it is that you're looking to secure your eternity. Maybe your next step is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe your next step is you need to start living in the freedom that your eternity is secure in Jesus. And in just a moment, we're going to put a little uh, pop-up in the the chat window where you can click on raise the hand. And I would encourage you that this morning, if you've not accepted Jesus before, or if you've done that in the past, but but you recognize it's something that you need to reestablish or reconfirm, would you just click on that, raising your hand, saying that I want to establish a relationship with Jesus? I want to send you some information and begin a conversation with you about what that looks like, that you would begin to understand how that relationship works. But this morning, for each of us, even if you've been in church forever, our opportunity is to recognize the security that we have in Jesus for all eternity, and then to allow that to pour back into our lives in the way that we live each and every day. Let's pray. God, this morning, we recognize all that you've done for us. Would you help us to see the opportunity that awaits for us? God, that that you have provided heaven for us, that you have provided eternity with you. God, would you help us to be willing to make some decisions, to, to choose to step into that relationship, to believe in what you've done for us? to see the value that that can bring in our life and to make the choice to begin to turn away from the things that we need to stop doing and pursue you. God, thank you for the hope and the peace that only you can bring. Help us to trust you, to follow you. Jesus, help us to see all of the things that you will do in our lives. Help us to lean into you for your guidance and your strength. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.